This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. How happy are you? This year's World Happiness Report finds that Zoomers are satisfied with their lives despite COVID and the rest of what's wrong with the world. And is there an effective role for the United Nations in Russia's war on Ukraine? I have an in-depth chat with Canada's ambassador to the UN, Bob Ray. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Russia's brain drain has become a stampede as the country's best and brightest see no future as war rages on. An economist at the University of Chicago estimates that 200,000 Russians fled in the first 10 days of the invasion to Armenia, Georgia, Israel, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkey, any country that admits Russians visa-free. That's a small number compared with the 2.8 million refugees who've left Ukraine, but then Russians don't need to run for their lives. Vladimir Putin, famous for his rumored reliance on Botox, will be cut off from the popular wrinkle treatment thanks to his war against Ukraine. According to the independent U.S. drug maker AbbVie, which owns the cosmetic medicine, announced its halting operations inside Russia. The company joins a growing list of pharmaceutical companies running for the exits because of Moscow's war. U.S. drug maker Eli Lilly has vowed to keep sending critical medicines for cancer and diabetes to Russia, but it's stopping sales of non-essential medicines. Swiss drug maker Novartis has also announced it is suspending all investments in Russia, while Pfizer, Bayer, and Abbott have cut back spending. I'm speaking to you today because there are things that are going on in the world that are being kept from you. Terrible things that you should know about. Arnold Schwarzenegger released a nine-minute video this week addressed to the people of Russia where he urges the government to end the war in Ukraine. He says Putin has told Russia lies by saying the goal is to denazify Ukraine. He adds that Ukraine's Jewish president had three uncles murdered by the Nazis. In a rare move, Schwarzenegger openly spoke about his father, who was a Nazi. He discussed the lies his father was told by his own government as well as the effects it had on him later in life before his death in 1972. It never occurred to me that we would even be considered for a medal uh, of any kind. That's 101-year-old retired Major Fanny Griffin McClendon on being awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. She was a member of the only all-black, all-female battalion to serve in World War II. The women are only now receiving the honor after President Biden signed a bipartisan bill earlier this week. Only six members of the battalion are believed to be alive today, including McClendon. 
The daughter of one of the deceased women said the group never got a parade or even a salute. The battalion, created in 1944, eventually included 824 enlisted black women who raised the morale of millions by sorting and rooting mail for American service members and civilians in Europe and the United States. Sir Rod Stewart has picked up a shovel to repair potholes near his home after complaining that nobody else could be bothered to do it. The problem? His Ferrari could not drive down the road. The 77-year-old veteran rock star shared videos of himself and a team shoveling gravel into a large number of potholes in an area of Essex. He's dressed in a tracksuit and a neon work vest while singing and shoveling gravel. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Today marks the International Day of Happiness, and it's hard to remember a time when we needed it more. This year's World Happiness Report says Canada is 15th out of 146 countries in the ranking of places with the happiest people. And there's a surprising finding on the well-being of Zoomers amid the pandemic. I talked with economist John Helliwell, the editor of the report, and an Idea City alum. The most interesting thing and counterintuitive that I saw here uh, was that while younger people have been really upset by COVID-19 in terms of happiness, it has actually increased for people over 60. Did I read that right? You did, and they've actually found over 60s that their social connections have not been as damaged as you might have thought. In part, that's because the substitution that everybody has had to do for in-line, online for personal connections has, in fact, made the social media from scourges to real social media at last, so that there's been an increasing connection within families of generations caring for each other, reaching out to each other in ways that their previous pre-pandemic busy lives often had them put these connections on the hold list, something to do next week, and now they're being done this week. That's one explanation. Is resilience a different measure than happiness? No, by resilience, we simply meant that you might have expected under this kind of, of attacks on your daily life style and what you could do and who you could do it with, that people would feel less happy. So by resilience, we're saying, in fact, people's life evaluations were maintained during that period of strife. It's not that we're completely surprised by that, because we have found the same thing in earthquakes, in after hurricanes and tsunamis, that people respond together looking after each other to these natural disasters. And the natural disaster does indeed cause damage, but people's feelings about themselves and about life are buoyed up by what they see about the goodness of others. Because if you're too pessimistic about the benevolence of others and you get a chance to see it, as typically you do when earthquakes happen, people rush out to help each other. People are buoyed up by that. I'm sure there's a fair amount of that happening during COVID as well, so that 
people are actually meeting their neighbors more than they did before. It sounds impossible, but in fact, it's true because people are out. They weren't traveling to Greece. They were walking in their neighborhoods and they were reaching out to help other people. And that gave them a sense of connection to their neighbors that they hadn't had before. Can you extrapolate from this what the the impact of the war that has just started? simple answer is no. We did have evidence that uh, the previous annexation of Crimea was connected with a real drop of of subjective well-being in uh, Ukraine. But what's happening now, of course, is is just a world apart in terms of its damage to lives, livelihoods, and spirit. It's holding up spirit, but it's uh, at an enormous human cost. So Canada is number 15 out of 146, which looks pretty good, but it has fallen a lot. It was fifth 10 years ago. What's going on? Well, we're not entirely sure about that. There's something about Canadians not feeling as happy with their lives as they ought to, given the circumstances of their life. So we're still chasing that down as to whether that has something to do with the way that people are redefining what makes for the best possible life for them. In a way, they're still satisfied with their lives, but they they can think of a better life. But it is, it, 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 it's, a, it's an open research box that we're busy trying to fill. It struck me as being your assessment of social media being quite positive when it, it it seems like there's huge, it stokes anger and division and uh, unhappiness. The reason our report looks more positive, social media have in fact become more social media than they were before. They were often used more for anti-social purposes before, but Imagine what life under COVID would have been like without Zoom, without all these ways of electronically connecting with our jobs, with our families, and with our friends. We were able to pivot in a way that most of us found remarkable, and uh, everybody was astonished by, uh, to be able to actually keep social connections alive uh, at a great physical distance. What about the trolling, the threats on social media, conspiracy theories? Is, is It's all there and in the United States uh, culminated in that attack on the Capitol. Yep. There's no question that uh, it's been a, uh, a tool. It's like all kinds of technological tools. It can be used in the wrong ways and the right ways. What COVID-19 exposed was a whole new set of right ways that had not been properly developed and had not been used for good in the way they have. The bad uses were already there and they're still there. And uh, so the fact that a lot of good has come out of these online resources during COVID should not let us forget. And you remind us uh, that there's an awful lot of bad things happening by these same uh, media. Anything you'd like to leave us with? It's hard in in today's news to be super optimistic, but I'd like to think that the kind of upsurge of people caring for each other and doing things for each other we saw in 2021 will leave a footprint of good for the future. That was Canadian economist John Helliwell. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... 
the United Nations and the war on Ukraine. I talk with Bob Ray, our ambassador to the UN. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. Canada's ambassador to the United Nations says Russia's war on Ukraine is an attack on the world order. Can the UN do anything about it? I reached him in between meetings in New York. When you decided to take this job, did you ever foresee a time and an issue like this? I think it was always a possibility that there's going to be a crisis of one kind or another, unfortunately. But I, I, I think this one has been very dramatic and, and very brutal. The Putin team is, uh, I would say, pretty impervious to criticism. I think what they're, what they're going to have to pay attention to is what happens to their economy, what happens to their country as a result of what is, what is a, a disastrous decision for everyone, including them. At the beginning of the conflict, there was this truly bizarre sight of a U.N. Security Council meeting chaired by Russia on this subject. It was outrageous. I mean, the, the, the council was debating uh, what, what could be done to avert a crisis. And in the middle of the meeting, uh, President Putin holds his press conference and said, this is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now announcing that we're going to attack. I don't even know whether the Russian ambassador knew that it was going to happen in the middle of the meeting. I, I suspect he knew that at some point it might happen, but it's what dictatorships do. They use diplomacy as a foil, not as a real thing. But what does it say about the efficacy of the UN? You're making the mistake that uh, that many people make, that is to assume that the, you, you blame the, the uh, Maple Leaf Gardens because the Leafs lost the game. I mean, you don't blame the arena. The UN is an arena. The arena is where these things happen. Any institution like the UN is only as strong as the member states decide it's going to be. If countries chose to avoid the rule of law, the UN would be challenged to figure out how to deal with that. Uh, there have been some disputes, uh, Korea, Suez, uh, to name two, where the, U- the UN was actually quite effective because it was able to overcome the, the institutional reluctance of a number of countries to actually solve the problem. This situation is different because Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council, and they can really, really slow down any response from the institution uh, that would deal with the impact of of their aggression. Russia has made a a mockery of its role on the Security Council, of its role as a permanent member, um, using its veto to stop the Security Council from passing a resolution criticizing the the aggression, and now just throwing a spanner in the works at every opportunity to stop uh, the UN from taking the necessary steps. It's certainly a challenge for for all of us. President Zelensky, how do you think that his very unexpected, awesome courage has impacted the whole turn of events? 
I think it's been life-changing for all of us. I think he's kept everyone's spirits high, and I think he's kept everyone's feet to the fire, which is what he has to do. I think he's been a source of great inspiration, very comparable to Churchill in 1940. He was the voice, Churchill was the voice of the British people. I think uh, I think President Polensky is the same, playing the same role. He's he's He is the voice. He's inspirational. Uh, he's He's really disciplined. Uh, he, he's focused and going forward. Uh, and uh, he, he's facing some real challenges, but he's facing them head on. And I, I think anybody, any freedom-loving person would, be, would celebrate, celebrate him and celebrate what he's doing. And yet NATO will not give him the thing he needs the most, which is a no-fly zone. The decision that NATO makes will have to be a group decision. I'm not going to get into the the ins and outs of, uh, of military strategy. I think it's. I think the key thing is to make sure that Ukraine has all the weapons it needs when it needs them. One thing I think is important to stress is there is a. I think a legitimate concern on the part of the leadership of NATO not to have a wider war with Russia uh, because that's something we we spent the last 75 years trying to avoid. And I, I think that's still that's still a good idea. If we can avoid a war with Russia, a direct war with Russia, uh, that's that's what we that's what we should keep doing because because the fact that Russia is nuclear power and NATO is a nuclear power. So you put the two together. You've got to you've got to make sure that whatever you're doing is is going to have the the, 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 the most effect and the most impact with the least damaging consequences. That's what you're trying to do. So how does this end? President Putin, the course that he's on now is a course that, that doesn't lead to anything like victory for him. He, he's, he's already losing this, this situation. And so he, he needs to understand that he's, he's in a situation where he has to cut his losses. He, he can't possibly achieve what he's trying to achieve because his initial war aims were so out of touch with reality. The one good thing that seems to have come out of this is that it seems to have re-energized the Western alliance. Do you do you agree with that? I do. The real issue is can we can we can our deeds match our words? And that I think is is going to be the challenge for NATO and for Europe and for Canada and for the United States and for every country in the world. Figure out how do we how do we make sure that our deeds are matching our words and that we're going in a, in a strong direction with a lot of confidence in the integrity of the democratic idea and of the need for a, a better approach to how to govern ourselves in the world. Bob Ray, thanks so much, and uh, let's talk soon. Thanks, Libby. Nice to talk to you. That was Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.